Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for a preview of Rafael Nadal versus Novak Djokovic in the 2021 Roland Garros semifinals, a rematch of last year's final. And I wouldn't say that this feels like a de facto final, given the uh, quality of the participants on the other side of the draw, but it very well could be the match that we remember, and it very well could be the legacy of this year's tournament. So, uh, this is meeting number 58 between these two. It is a rivalry that on paper is the best in the history of men's tennis, given just the volume of matches they've played, the magnitude and the importance of those matches, and just the numbers of instant classics that they have accumulated, along with, I'd say, revolutionizing a certain style of the modern game that really brought it to another level physically. Um, with that being said, they know each other's games so well, and at this point, a trend has emerged in the rivalry where they've been unable to beat each other on their favorite surfaces. Nadal has not beaten Djokovic on a hard court or a grass court, for that matter, since the 2013 U.S. Open. Meanwhile, Djokovic has not beaten Nadal on clay since Rome in 2016. So let's get into how Djokovic may be able to crack that code and what and how Nadal uh, needs to continue the patterns that have been so advantageous and favorable to him ever since the, uh, I would say, the, the recent era of their careers. Because it, do, it did feel like 2017 was kind of a, a part two or maybe even a part three or a part four when you look at the the progression of the big three where Djokovic comes back and so does Nadal in 2017 and they're kind of transformed versions of themselves. So let's get into it and I want to start with uh, a story from the other night when I was when I was out and someone came up to me and was like Gil this is incredible you know Nadal he's he's still the favorite. You know, he he's still right up there at Roland Garros every single year. How how is he how is this still happening? And if I'm asked a question like that in this forum with you guys on YouTube, I might give a long answer with with nuances and complexities and and different, you know, bullet points. But when I'm out and someone asks me that in a social setting, I am not going to give them a one to two minute monologue. So it actually forced me to give a very, very simplistic answer just by the nature of the situation. And it was kind of enlightening to me because I'm not always asked to come up with those simplistic answers. So I thought for a second and I said, you know, the forehand is the forehand and it's always been the forehand. The serve has changed. It's gotten better. The legs have changed. Not quite, not, not as fast anymore as he used to be when he was young. The tactics have changed since Carlos Moya came into the picture. Things have changed, but wait, Nadal's still at the top. Well, that hasn't changed. What else hasn't changed? The forehand. The forehand is the forehand. It always has been. And it is a massive, massive key when these two meet on clay. And there are a lot of examples of that. And it plays out point by point by point. But then you could look at like the fifth set of the 2013 uh, semifinal that they played, Nadal and Djokovic, and just look at what Nadal's forehand did 
to Djokovic on the court in that fifth set. It was absolute carnage. So that's one example. But then I also think that last year's final is an example of uh, what Nadal's forehand can do in this matchup and against everyone at Roland Garros. And just, it is such a, a unique and valuable weapon on court Philippe Chatrier, and that was my answer. So with that in mind, I want to get into the specifics of how the Nadal forehand has affected this matchup in different ways. And I want to start with the short rally dominance by Nadal. Nadal is able to neutralize his Djokovic is able to neutralize Djokovic's serve and forehand far more often than Djokovic is able to neutralize Nadal's serve and forehand. And that's a matter of, in my opinion, less so the serve and the return itself, but more so just the pure potency and the consistency of that first forehand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Nadal Beat, has beaten Djokovic in rallies lasting zero to four shots very, very handedly in two straight meetings on clay now. So it was 53 to 25 in last year's French Open final. And when they met in Rome a couple weeks ago in that final, it was 50 to 36. So Djokovic doing slightly better there. The scoreline was uh, much more balanced, especially because Djokovic took a, a dominant second set. But two matches in a row now where that hasn't even been close. And that is where the majority of rallies are going to be played in, uh, in any tennis match unless, um, unless you have Sarah Arani against Sarah Perez-Somariba. Uh, it's going to be mostly zero through four shots. So that has been a real key. So let's also talk about how Nadal returns, how he serves, because he's clearly getting the better of that dynamic. And it's not just the forehand, um, but a lot of it is the forehand. And the racket speed, the difference in the racket speed, the RPM, which gives Nadal just more heaviness, more weight, and also safety. So Nadal hits into big targets on his forehand. It, it you know, he has lots of net clearance, big targets, but it's so fast, so violent, so spinny, and it's so good at, at creating and generating its own pace that it's safe offense, and that way he can repeat it also. So if the first one is neutralized, and he's so good with his footwork, finding another forehand and another forehand and another forehand, um, that he can do it over and over again if the first one or the second one isn't good enough. And he's also developed uh, you know, amazing finishing ability at the net. So when it comes to the serve and the return, as a uh, singular shot. Well, on the return, what Nadal does is he stands deep. He lifts the ball generally high over the net with a, a considerable topspin and lots of loop. And that gives him time to recover his court position. He likes to hit it up the middle to not give his opponent an angle to work with. So it's up the middle. It's pretty slow. It's pretty spinny. It gives Nadal time to recover to the middle. And then he gets ready to neutralize. And his movement on clay is is just really, really great. And of course, he defends with his racket skills uh, better, far better than, than any other surface um, when you look at what he's able to do on clay. When it comes to the serve, he likes to hit two serves primarily, but there's really three in the arsenal. Uh, most of his serves is a wide slice serve to Novak's backhand. And on the what what makes that serve effective is, is this. It doesn't necessarily... Um, finish the point. 
And yes, on the ad side, it drags Novak off the court. But that's not what I actually think is so effective about it. What's so effective about Nadal's slice serve to Novak's backhand or any righty's backhand is how difficult it is to get that return to Nadal's backhand. If you are on the deuce side, you need to hit an inside-out backhand return. It's That's the most difficult return in tennis, in my opinion. Inside-out backhand return. It takes perfect timing. When the ball is coming 120 miles per hour, a little bit less than that on average, I'm exaggerating, but when the ball is coming triple digits at you, to, to have the timing to hit that inside-out on the backhand side, incredibly difficult to do. Now, let's go to the ad side. That's the do side. On the ad side, you're pulled way off the court. So if you hit down the line um, and it bleeds towards the middle of the court, well, now you're off the court. You've hit to the short part of the court and Nadal's cross-court backhand or inside-out forehand, it's wide open. So when you're off the court, you want to buy yourself time and you're going to do less running and you're less likely to be put on the defensive if you go cross court or middle with that, which is to the Nadal weapon. It plays into his hands. Not to mention, it's a it, it seems very small margin. It's trying to get it into a sliver, trying to go down the line on the return. Once again, more difficult to time, very hard to do. That's why 70% of Nadal's serves go to the Novak backhand to set up the forehand. But then he doesn't he doesn't do it over and over and over again where Djokovic can really sit on it, get the rhythm, and crush the backhand returns. He then mixes in the flat serve to Novak's forehand, which is supposed to be that damaging serve. That's where he'll get the aces. That's where he'll get the service winners. That's where he'll get Novak lunging for it and, and getting a weak floating return back. Um, but it's the changeup. It's also the surprise factor. It's the 70 to 30 percent, and that's the 30 percent. Then the other serve he's been mixing in is the... Uh, is the body forehand serve, which just slices into the right hip of Novak to try to make that forehand return uncomfortable. And he he hits that serve on the ad side, and it actually gets Novak's weight moving the wrong direction because he's trying to move out of the way and hit the forehand as I move away from the mic so you can barely hear me. Um, and, and that also helps Nadal's plus one game. So that's how he serves. That's how he returns. And then he has the more potent and consistent uh, damaging offensive forehand behind it. And the result has been domination by Rafa in points zero through four shots. If you're a Novak fan listening to this, believe me, I'm going to get to some adjustments that maybe Novak can try to make. So um, don't get too nervous. Now let's talk about the baseline dynamic. The baseline dynamic, uh, Rafa's forehand still represents the easiest path to damage in a neutral baseline rally, but Djokovic knows that. And he's not going to rely on hitting his heavy, or I wouldn't call him heavy, but his his hard, uh, penetrating cross-court backhands to the, to the Nadal forehand. He's not going to do that on this surface because it doesn't have the same effect. And Nadal is able to, to hit his forehand um, a lot better, and Djokovic's backhand is just less damaging. That has a lot to do with the fact that Djokovic's backhand is flat, relatively, and Nadal's forehand has so much RPM. And when the ball slows down, Nadal can easier change direction down the line on the forehand to, to get out of that pattern. So 
Uh, the baseline dynamic is that instead of hitting hard cross-court backhands, Djokovic will look to pin Nadal in his backhand corner with heavy cross-court forehands. And that has been the pattern that's been the most effective pattern against Nadal for Novak, especially in the period of time from 2016 to 2011, where Djokovic accumulated, I believe it is seven wins over Rafa Nadal in the best of three format and one in the best of five format. But also it's been a pattern that Dominic Team has gone to against Nadal, once again, in the best of three. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas executed it in Madrid. If you can just force Nadal to hit backhands in a, you know, in a def rather defensive light, and you kind of go strength, the forehand strength into Nadal's backhand, and that's how you generate short balls. That's where you get your opportunities to attack. It's tough because Nadal's backhand can be can be very good and doesn't miss very often. But that is the uh, desired pattern of play for Novak and most who have had success against Nadal on clay. Um, and Nadal might accept that pattern, but if he doesn't accept that pattern, he'll want to change direction. He'll want to hit a looping backhand down the line or a slice backhand down the line because, uh, you know, he wants to affect Novak's contact point and also change the pattern, entice Novak into hitting that next backhand cross court into the Nadal weapon. And he's very often successful in that. To get out of that pattern, he goes down the line to entice the cross-court backhand, and now it's back on Nadal's forehand. And and Rafa's just so, so good at that. Um, so that's kind of how the baseline dynamic plays out. So let's talk about, can Novak uh, change some of these things? And what can he do? Well, last year, Djokovic, I think, was having a lot of trouble hitting through Nadal's defense, but also other players as well on the surface. Uh, but against Nadal, he really flattened out his strokes and went, you know, played really aggressively, I think, in, in that final. And it worked in the third set for a bit, but it just seemed very low margin. And he ultimately had some loose games. The game at 5-all where Nadal uh, broke was a, a loose game by Novak. And, and it kind of felt like that was inevitable. He also tried to use the drop shot, right? If you can't hit through Rafa, let's hit under him. And Nadal's drop shot retrieval, in my opinion, first of all, he he moved up his court position to try to defend the drop shot. I also think that Nadal's drop shot retrieval is maybe the best I've ever seen. He has so many options with that shot. He He's excellent at redropping. He has the short angle. He has the punch deep. He he volleys well. Uh, his overhead is is great. So it's a very difficult play to to work on uh, on Rafa. So so Nadal uh, Djokovic's ways to try to hit through Nadal did not work last year. He needs to go back to the to the uh, drawing board. It's going to start with this, and I think this is maybe the the number one key. Certainly on the return game, he needs to get more returns to Nadal's backhand. He has to, and I think he knows that. The question is how. He needs to make a drastic change because, of course, he knows that, and he has known that. He's just not able to do it, um, and he's missing a lot of returns. He's missing a lot of returns because he's trying to make a good enough return to protect himself from Rafa's forehand, and the the numbers in the Rome final— Last year's Roland Garros final, too many missed returns by Novak, and most of them are backhand, missed, missed backhand returns. So he needs to figure something out here. Um, 
should he move back? Should he move back, take a fuller swing, and hit to smaller targets on the on the backhand side for Nadal? Should he should he move up and kind of take more risk, maybe go bigger off the returns? Um, should he stop trying to hit his returns deep down the middle? And should he just target every return into Nadal's backhand corner? And even though it's a difficult return, just try to make it. Um, and go for the sidelines, maybe alternate going for the sidelines instead of returning down the middle. I don't know, uh, but he's going to need to tinker with his return strategy and his return position. He also needs to improve his own plus one play, his own serve plus one play. Maybe he goes to net more. Maybe he serves and volleys a little bit, but you know, approaches behind his aggression into the net to try to combat Nadal's defense, which is uh, really great with the extra space um, on Chatrier. He loves to use all of that space in the back of the court. It's a big court, and he uses it. Um, should he be more patient and just try to wear Nadal down and hit those heavy, safe balls into Nadal's backhand corner and just extend rallies and try to wear him down physically. I think that's a, a viable strategy against Nadal is to try to get to his legs and make it so that, you know, he's making more mistakes. He's not serving as well because he's tired. So the last thing is um, having a plan for Nadal's pattern changing backhand down the line. I think Novak should come into this match with a really, really thought-out plan of how he's going to handle that shot. Because it can't just be, I'm going to then trade my cross-court backhand and, and give Nadal exactly what he wants. It can't be like that. He needs to decide either I'm going to be stubborn and go back down the line. And that was Andre Rublev's plan when, when Rublev beat him in um, Monte Carlo. Rublev was just, okay, I'm not going to hit that cross court. I know you want me to. It's not going to happen. I'm just going to go back down the line. And it doesn't matter what you do. I'm just going back down the line. So I think Novak should either do that or he should go cross court with intention. And he should actually say, okay, if you're going to go down the line passively, I am going to go into the open court hard and aggressive. And I'm not just going to not just going to trade my backhand cross court. I'm going to build with it. I'm going to finish the points with it, um, or probably not finish, but build and uh, be more aggressive. So he needs a plan. He needs a plan for that shot. And that is my my list of things that Novak really needs to turn around if he wants to change this matchup and, and how it's been going. Lastly, I'll hit on the conditions. Djokovic should find easier offense in what should be warmer, higher bouncing conditions. Now, it's slated for a 5.30 start, so it's not going to be hot. It's not going to be middle of the day. That'll be the Zverev Tsitsipas um, final, uh, semifinal. But it will be warmer and higher bouncing than last year. Hawkeye has confirmed that in Nadal matches. Um, so Djokovic should find easier offense. That's good. But I think Nadal should also be able to find easier offense. And I think he has the ability to break Novak's contact point when targeting the backhand, which I think is very valuable for Nadal when he plays Djokovic on clay. So I don't think the conditions either way really swing this matchup. I think the clay is clay. It's never going to be fast. It's never going to be low bouncing. That's what Novak would want. It's not going to be that. It doesn't matter if it's cold outside or hot outside or, or, or anything. It's just going to be what it's going to be. So, um, 
I don't think the conditions will have much of an effect. Here's my prediction. All of the adjustments for Novak, they're all what ifs. They're all what, you know, possibilities, uh, potentials. We might not see them. They might not happen. And if we do see them, if he does employ them, they might not work. They might work. They might not. That's how adjustments are. You don't really know. Uh, Nadal would, you know, have a have a counter or not. But that's what I'm trying to say. We don't know. Nadal's advantages are certainties. They are very much rooted, not in tactics, not in decisions. They've played each other 57 times. They know each other's games very well. Nadal's advantages are based on skill set and attributes. Same goes for Djokovic on the quicker, lower bouncing surfaces. So my prediction is Nadal in four sets. I wouldn't be shocked if it were straight sets. After the semifinals, I will be going live. So make sure you join me for a live post-match show after this match. It is the second semifinal. I can't wait for it. Meeting number 58 between Nadal and Djokovic. Enjoy the match. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for a preview of Alexander Zverev versus Stefano Tsitsipas in the 2021 Roland Garros semifinals. This will be the eighth meeting between these two shared generation rivals, and the current head-to-head is 5-2 to two in favor of the Greek, but the stakes are enormous for this match, and ultimately, I think both of them would agree they would trade a couple of their victories either way just to win this match. Tsitsipas looks for his first major final, and Zverev not only looks to get back into a major final, and it would be back-to-back years, which would be a nice accomplishment for the German, uh, but he also has not really come up with a big victory in a major to this day. Uh, He is 0-9 against the top 10 in majors, and that is beginning to be something of a monkey on the back for Sasha Zverev, a bit of a... uh, it looms a little bit large on his resume at the moment because uh, he really needs to pick up that win over an elite player in the best of five format. Otherwise, he will uh, he'll never go all the way. Although he was very very close at the U.S. Open. Um, I have a tactical theory for why this matchup has been so one-sided. And Zverev did win their last meeting in Acapulco. It started with the 4-1 lead for Tsitsipas. Zverev comes all the way back there, wins the first set, wins the second in a tiebreak. And uh, it, was a, it was a very intense match. And Zverev afterwards said that, well, Tsitsipas has played me a couple times when I just wasn't really... I wasn't myself in 2018 and 2019. And it's like, okay, uh, maybe. But uh, my only tactical theory for why this matchup has been, for the most part, in favor of Tsitsipas is Zverev's offense all goes, his best offense, I should say, all goes into Tsitsipas's far superior wing uh, when it comes to both neutralization and counterattacking. The forehand wing for Tsitsipas, which is uh, really superlative on clay, the way he defends that side. He slides into the shot beautifully, and he has so much physical strength that he gets a lot on the forehand when he is on the run, moving to his right. And Zverev's best offense is 
his backhand down the line, his forehand cross court, and his forehand inside in. Those are the shots that Zverev really is a lot better at attacking with. Backhand cross court, yeah, it's a, it's a good shot, of course, and you know it's the backhand, which is great, but it's it's still it's difficult to do a ton of damage with cross court backhands. That goes for almost everyone on tour, unless you have the speed of shot that like Dominic Team and Vavrinka have, um, or Sinner. It's really difficult. Uh, the inside out forehand from from Zverev, not good. Much better inside in comparatively. And the down-the-line forehand for Zverev, not great. Much better cross-court. So when you attack Tsitsipas, especially on hard courts, you want to attack the backhand, not the forehand. And Zverev's attacks, his his most competent attacks and his most effective attacks, they all go into the stronger win, wing for Tsitsipas. So look out for that. It's just a theory. You know, I... I I can't say with 100% confidence, but I can say with 80 or 90% confidence that that's been a factor in this matchup. Um, all in all, Pass comes in the favorite. I think for the reason, and when I say favorite, I'm, I'm literally stating a fact. Some people don't understand that and they get upset. Like, you know, I, I forget what matchup it is, but I'm literally referring to the betting odds. So it's just a fact. It's, you can't, you can't argue it. Um, just thought I'd clarify. Sometimes I say that and I get comments like, you think he's the favorite out, dare you? I think Nadal was the underdog last year in the French Open final against Djokovic. And I just said he was the underdog, that Nadal was the underdog, which was just a fact, just an undisputable fact. And people got very upset at the fact that he was the underdog. Okay, I digress. So Pass is a favorite. I think the reason, partially the head-to-head, Partially the dominant 2021 that he's had leading the race to Turin, whereas Zverev has been good, two titles in 2021, but a little bit inconsistent. Also just looking like the best clay court player outside of Rafa Nadal in the end for most of the clay court season. And add on to that the fact that I think Tsitsipas has had a more impressive tournament. Let me save that argument for a little bit later. Um, But for me... It's that Tsitsipas has a very distinct offensive edge. When it comes to slower, heavier conditions, yes, Verev has good power off both wings, but sometimes he shies away from it. He shies away from using his transition game, doesn't come to net, uh, isn't aggressive, takes on this very passive retrieval mode that he goes into in certain matches. And I just think Tsitsipas' offense is way too good for that to fly in this match at any point. Uh, Tsitsipas' forehand is elite. It is in the company with with uh, Nadal, Team, and Tsitsipas, I think, is kind of in that, that elite level of forehand dominance on clay. Zverev's, uh, or excuse me, Tsitsipas is in that. But he also goes to the net beautifully. He finishes points beautifully um, moving forward. He hits great approach shots. He can attack with the backhand down the line. And Zverev relies on retrieval too much at times. He can't do that in this matchup uh, because Tsitsipas, I just think, is another level where Zverev can get away with that against so many opponents. And Tsitsipas is just, the forehand is too good. The weapons, the weaponry is too good that if Zverev thinks that he's going to defend and and play a passive game style and that Tsitsipas isn't going to be able to find ways through his defense, I think that... uh, 
he is in for a surprise. And when I say Zverev relies on retrieval too much at times, I'm talking about the Yannick Sinner match last year, which he said he was sick for that match. But that is an example. But then we saw it in this tournament, in his first round match against Oscar Ota, where he dropped the first two sets, just cagey, passive stuff from Zverev. And then in the first set, against Alejandro Davidovich-Fakina, which was a very ugly set of tennis, where ADF was making tons of unforced errors, and Zverev was really just waiting for them and not doing much on his own accords. Uh, you can even go off of the, a clay court and look at his 2020 U.S. Open, how he started against Borna Cioric, where the first set was, again, just ugly, ugly stuff. The Pablo Carina Busta match, where he went down two sets to love, playing passively. Zverev just has this bad habit. It takes him time to get his confidence and start going for his shots. Sometimes, not only does it take him time, but it requires him to... Uh, for his back to be against the wall in the match before he begins to use all of the tools that he has. Tsitsipas' offense is almost definitely too consistent and too brutal for Zverev to get away from that in this match. But let's say Zverev is confident. Let's say he's uh, playing his all-court game. He's utilizing the power that he can bring on the forehand side when he flattens out. And let's talk about how Zverev might gain some advantages here. Well, he does have the serve edge and the respect that he's going to get more free points that way. It, he figures to secure more aces that way. And I think the way he wins this match is that, yes, his counter-striking and his consistency can shine. And he can steal some points that way, uh, combined with the, the serve dominance. I think that if Zverev wins this match, um, the unforced error count is heavily in favor of the German uh, because I do think that he can play a cleaner style. I think he's more comfortable, um, a little bit more comfortable really posting up and playing mistake-free tennis at the highest level in the biggest moments where Tsitsipas can get anxious. He wants to control play. It's uncomfortable for him when he's not controlling play. And at times he will miss especially with Zverev's speed and how difficult that can make it on opponents looking to attack. Ultimately, I think that Tsitsipas has been at a higher level rather consistently throughout this tournament. And I think he comes in battle-tested when Zverev does not. Alejandro Davidovich Fikina is the highest-ranked player that Zverev has encountered. And that makes it very, very difficult for me to evaluate Zverev's form and where he's at because he has not played a player that is really capable of beating him. And when you combine that with the fact that he has yet to beat a top 10 player on clay, I don't know where he possibly draws his confidence from heading into this match that he is going to bring the level to beat Stefano Tsitsipas, a player who has looked so, so good up there with Rafa Nadal. I think 1A and 1B, along with Novak Djokovic, when you consider his Rome form. So I think that has been the top three. Zverev has not been in that conversation. I don't like to put weight into Madrid at all. I just don't like to value Madrid because I don't think that it's representative of the conditions that we see at the French Open. Tsitsipas has encountered uncomfortable battles against John Isner, who redlined his game in the first set, against Pablo Carina Busta, who is playing great tennis, is a tough matchup, and will give you nothing easy. And Tsitsipas, you know, really ran through that matchup and passed it with flying colors. 
And then finally, Daniil Medvedev, who is a matchup nightmare historically for Tsitsipas and also someone who resembles Zverev's game. He's a worse version of Alexander Zverev on clay, at least, because he is a defensive-minded, court-covering guy with a massive serve. And we already saw how Tsitsipas neutralized the Daniil Medvedev serve very, very effectively with his block returning. The conditions will be hot. It will be a midday match, so keep that in mind. Maybe that changes things, but we already saw that. Um, but I think the most important thing about that is that Tsitsipas has felt the pressure, has felt the discomfort of opponents who are highly capable of playing really great tennis against him. And Zverev, frankly, hasn't. That, combined with Zverev's tendency to start slow, combined with the fact that I believe his confidence is somewhat fickle. I have a lot more confidence in Tsitsipas's mental game coming into this match. I don't really trust Zverev's second serve. I don't really trust his forehand under pressure. I do trust Tsitsipas's second serve and his forehand in the big moments. My prediction is Stefano Tsitsipas in four. Remember, I'll be going live after both of the semifinal matches. So after this match and Nadal Tsitsipas, uh, Jeez, Nadal Djokovic, I will go live. Um, I will give my post-match evaluations, and then I will take your comments. So make sure uh, you check my channel and tune in for that. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.